Have you ever read an article about healthcare and been like, what the hell did that even mean? But you just pretended you knew what it was about because God forbid people found out that you didn't actually know what you were talking about. And when other people started talking about that article or content, you just nodded along, keeping it cool. But deep down, you had this pent up anxiety and dread that people was going to potentially ask you something about that subject. Well, let me give you a spoiler alert. All those other people probably felt the same as you. Healthcare research can be dry and boring. That's true here in Australia, but even more so in the US. And my guest today knows that all too well. Nikhil Krishnan is the author of Out of Pocket Health, a newsletter featuring deep analysis and dank memes about what's going on in the US healthcare system. Today, we're going to cover the current state of the US healthcare system, some similarities and differences with the Australian healthcare system, and a bunch of other off-the-wall stuff as well. This one's going to be different. So let's pay attention and let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Nikhil Krishnan, the founder and author of Out of Pocket Health. His goal is to make healthcare easier to understand through a newsletter, children's books, courses and other exciting projects. He's previously worked in healthcare research at CB Insights and worked on the partnerships team at TrialSpark. He shares original opinions about healthcare in the US through his newsletter and on Twitter to a following of almost 26,000 people. He's also the founder of Get Real Club, an online private community where he's making it easier to make friends via structured online-offline relationships. Nikhil, how are you doing? Hey, man, how's it going? I'm going to use that sound clip of your intro and send it to anyone wherever they ask me what I do, because that's probably the best introduction I've ever, <laughs> I've ever had. <laughs> next, next time, oh, epic, man. Yeah, next yeah. time my mom asks me, like, what do you do for a job? I'm just going to send her that. Here's someone else describing it. <laughs> when you're at that level where someone else can describe what you do, you know you've made it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I'm going to use uh, that. Yeah, you know what, though? Like, it'd be great. To, like, what I usually do at this point is usually get someone to describe themselves a bit more and give themselves an introduction and put things in perspective. But, you know, outside of all of that, how do you describe to your mum what you do? Or what do you do, Nikhil? I, yeah, I know. It's a good question. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I am the founder of Out of Pocket Health. And the general gist of Out of Pocket is to help teach people how the business of healthcare works. So like you said, everything from the newsletter through courses to basically teach people how that works. You know, still sort of figuring out all the different, uh, I don't know, like modalities that might take form. But for now, kind of just having fun and trying to make it easy, funny, accessible. It's kind of like you said, I mean, I historically used to uh, work in a lab in high school and then kind of have been around healthcare for a pretty long time because both my parents are physicians. But it's just always been really confusing and just incredibly opaque and intimidating. And so when I went to CB Insights, well, I was forced to cover healthcare. I was like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> what am I like? I don't even, what is the, like, what is this acronym? I, now I got to Google this. Like, you know, why does everything sound so jargony? And so it was just so hard to figure anything out. So I pretty much have made it my life goal and mission to just make healthcare just an easier place for people to understand. And that's where out of pocket came from. So trying to use humor, memes, and all that kind of stuff to make it easy for people to understand, you know, more about healthcare. And to, to your point, I'm hoping that when people read my articles, they at least know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like at least came yeah. away with something, uh, you know, definitive points that they can recall yeah. and remember. It's such an interesting kind of thing. Hey, like being able to present information that's really 
typically difficult or dry or complex to comprehend otherwise and is normally presented that way. But to present it with visuals and to, you know, not, not to overanalyze it or anything, but typically I think I've learned the most from the US healthcare system by like reading your newsletter out of anything. So I think you're onto something in terms of doing it in a more accessible medium. I think we need more of that. Yeah, I appreciate that. My general view is everything that we do at work is becoming slowly and slowly more consumerized, right? Like the tools we use are are these, you know, we use Slack in our normal lives and in our workplaces, our, a lot of our personal tools and our cell phones are things that we use in our workplace. And I don't see why your information consumption should be that different, right? Like the things that you consume to help you for your job should probably be as equally interesting as the tools that you use. So I don't know, it's just sort of a, I think, extension of the same thing. I think the only way you can get new people to come work in healthcare is by making it interesting and exciting for them. And so this is just my my small contribution to that. That's amazing. Be keen to understand, talking shop for a second, the US healthcare system, obviously here in Australia, we're quite isolated sometimes from everything else, but in a more global kind of setting. And then especially for a lot of organizations, people working for organizations here in Australia or startup founders that want to then break into other areas, it's good to understand other healthcare systems. So if you had to then describe generally the US healthcare system, describe it to me, Nikhil, how does it all work? Yeah, we're also isolated as well in the seventh <laughs> circle of Dante's hell, you know. Uh, so, no, I mean, the general gist is the U.S. healthcare system, as anyone who has seen a headline or, you know, perused Reddit probably knows, is just a total mess. At its core, it's the idea that your employer basically decides your health insurance plans for you. And so you get coverage from this third-party health insurer that you actually get from your employer. And then the insurer kind of covers like a certain amount after you hit a deductible and all that kind of stuff. So there's a certain amount you have to pay yourself. And the idea is that hopefully you'll go shop around and go get cheaper care by like looking around. And then the insurer will cover as much as possible after you hit a certain threshold. The way I would describe the US healthcare system is a bunch of problems happening simultaneously. So one is there's a huge principal agent problem across the entire industry. And what I mean by that is the user of services and the buyer of services are two different people. And so, you know, on the consumer side, that's for example, I'm the user of services, I'll get procedures and meds and all that kind of stuff. But the person who's paying it is actually my health insurer. And so because of that, I'm going to be less price sensitive after a certain point. Or a physician who's using tools in a hospital, um, the physicians are using the tools, but it's the hospital C-suite, for example, that's buying the tools. So they care about two different things, right? That's why you don't see things like really, really good products, for example, just from like a usability perspective. So one part is this sort of principal agent problem. The second part, I would say, is healthcare is very sort of disparate and siloed here. And that's in a different, a bunch of different senses, right? So for example, we have some rules that are at the federal level. So like the government decides for the nation, but then each state basically gets to decide a subset of those rules. But then even within that state, if your, your employer, actually the rules that they set for your health benefits actually take precedence over the state's rules. So it's a very complicated, right? Because it's just like everyone is making their own rules and you have no idea which one is overlapping where. And that's why you need to have all of these administrators in the middle trying to like guide, oh, you actually fall into here or like, oh, you were actually supposed to get this bill, et cetera. And so you have these layers of just like administrators basically being piled up to figure out the complexity. 
I used to work in an organization that was a global healthcare organization. And when it came to US billing, and I didn't know anything about healthcare when I came into it, and I didn't understand why they had a US billing department that was so big. I'm like, why? I don't understand why it's, is it because there's so many claims? It's like, no, just because it's so complex. And then actually seeing them go through that, it's the next level kind of system. It's unreal. It's crazy. I invested in a company that's basically trying to do some stuff around price transparency in the US. And at their core, what they're trying to do is basically get a list of all of the different health insurers we have in the US, all the different providers, hospitals, et cetera, and figure out which payer is paying how much to each hospital for a given set of services. For someone like a Northwell, for example, which is one major hospital system in the Northeast, that is 200 million data points because, or some, some ballpark around there. Because basically every service, it has a different pricing for every insurer. And that service can also be a different pricing depending on where within the health system it is, right? Like if it's an outpatient setting, an inpatient setting. And so when you have all of these layers of complexity, it's just like impossible to figure out anything. And so it's just so confusing and so unnecessary. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other problems with the U.S., but those are like two that I think really underpin a lot of the issues. Yeah. Is this kind of thing fixable? It seems so inherently baked into how healthcare is run in the U.S. Is it going to shift? Is the U.S. healthcare system ever going to get better? Or is it just something that you're going to have to deal with by doing even funnier memes and newsletters? <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely going to cure the U.S. healthcare system with like some <laughs> dank SpongeBob name. Um, no, the the real answer is I think there are some parts that are fixable, and then there are some parts that are actually more ideological questions we have to grapple with as like a country of what kind of healthcare system do we actually want, right? There are fixable parts, like for example, you can definitely remove a lot of the administrative bloat for sure. No matter what system you want, there are just too many middle layers that exist right now. So there are parts there that are fixable. And I think there are also different ways to even go about fixing those problems, right? Which is the other issue here is that no one can decide what they think is the best way to fix the problem, even if you agree on the problem itself. So, you know, one way to do it is more top down. So the government sort of setting regulations or regulating prices or whatever you want to call it, or bottoms up where you introduce a way more free flowing market competition. But the problem is because we try to do these like half-assed measures between, we actually get the worst of both worlds where it's like enough regulation to prevent new entrants from coming in, but not enough competition to actually reduce prices. So I would say like those parts that are fixable, but the flip side is actually ideologically, I don't think we know exactly what kind of healthcare system we want because the reality is actually if you anywhere in the world, if you are a person with really complex care or rare diseases or anything like that, you actually will probably end up coming to the U.S. for a lot of those things if you can afford it, basically. Because at the end of the day, for better or worse, we definitely have the most cutting edge sort of treatments out there and available and a lot of physicians who specialize in those areas. Now, that's, I think, great for the people who it affects, right? It's a probably a relatively small number of people, but it's great for them. And on the flip side also, I think the U.S. inadvertently ends up subsidizing a lot of the medical sort of breakthroughs that happen that help the rest of the world as well, right? And so when you think about like the idea that someone will have to eventually pay for those things, maybe more, or maybe less, there is probably going to be some system that is more expensive than the others. And it would make sense that the U.S. is probably one of those systems. So I think there's definitely parts of this that are just bad. <laughs> we, there's really, they're really inexcusably bad. 
And then there are the parts of this where I think we really have to figure out just what kind of health system do we really want. When I try and think about the difference between the Australian healthcare system and the US healthcare system, I mean, there's, I guess, some similarities in some areas in terms of public-private setting. However, our the public healthcare provided at a national level, there is state elements of healthcare, but that's more just of the, the healthcare is delivered in the by states. That's where we've got a bit of a problem in the federal pays, but then the state delivers and then there's all this kind of mess in between. We have private health insurance, but they're more organizations, the institutions that families and individuals take out policies directly with. There's no connection. It's rarely a connection with the employer. And that's the stark difference, I think, between the US and the Australian healthcare system is this concept of if you've got a job, make sure it's got insurance and if it does, you're set. If you don't, then you're, then you're screwed and your family's screwed. And that's totally. the connection through to employment. And then this, I've spoken to a lot of, you know, individuals in the US where, you know, there's that movement from you go from being employed to a contractor, you remain employed doing a job, but you lose your health insurance. Like it's not, it's not something that generally is worried too much about here in Australia. And often actually in Australia, there's a more and more of a movement of individuals choosing not to take out private health insurance because it ends up the premiums they pay are probably more than what they, you know, end up utilizing anyway, which is that's certainly not advice for anyone, but it's a, a decision that's becoming increasingly more mainstream. So I guess seeing those differences, have you ever compared, say, the US healthcare system to other parts of the world and seen bits and pieces that are similar or different? Yeah, I think every country has a different sort of flavor of healthcare system. But I will say like one of the unique things about the US healthcare system that I think makes it particularly bad is that we do not have a government run competitor system. Like I think a lot of functioning healthcare systems will have a public private system in which there is sort of a public base level of care that you're sort of entitled to in the form of either a public insurance option and or a public, uh, like a government run provider system, health system, whatever you want to call it. And then on top of that, if you want, you can buy basically private policies that exist on top of that for supplemental coverage or for access to better facilities, whatever you want. Well, unique problem, I think, with the U.S. is we don't actually have that. And so that's sort of what I was talking about with a little bit of introducing even just a general free market kind of competition is have you actually introduced, I think, a government-run competitor that offer baseline needs to people, then the existing health insurers, uh, hospitals, et cetera, would actually have to compete with that baseline level and offer basic, and offer a very differentiated uh, product offering than what they offer currently, because it would have to be a little bit more consumer focused. They'd have to be, you know, a better experience. You're, you're pitching a lot of different things. And also, frankly, you have to change the entire economics of your business, right? Because you're definitely not going to get as much throughput anymore through your the doors of your hospital or through your um, insurance. I think that's one uniquely bad thing about the US is we don't have just like the basic public option. And it is uh, with Biden being elected, that is, I think, one of the main things that's sort of on the docket is the introduction of a public option. So a public health insurance option more specifically, that I think will be really interesting to see kind of how it plays out. And I would say the other thing is also a lot of other countries sort of force people to dedicate money to healthcare expenditure in some capacity. And in the US, that's been particularly difficult. Um, you know, we used to have a uh, something called the individual mandate where people had to buy health insurance. Like you just, if you didn't have health insurance in a given year, you'd have to pay a penalty. And people were very upset about that. They, it was sort of like an idea of this sort of infringes on like personal liberties to a certain point that we can't choose what we can buy and not. 
And so that's another big problem, I think, that's a more of a cultural problem in the U.S. than other systems. And like, there's all there's all their stuff to talk about, obviously, from like a demographics perspective and all that. But, you know, that's for another time, probably. Yeah, it's interesting, that whole concept of paying for public health. You know, that's just something that we do in Australia as part of your tax return at the end of every year. If you don't have private health insurance, you pay for it in some other way through your tax return. So, yeah, it's, it does sound very American to then say, well, I'd like to choose exactly what I do and don't do. Otherwise, you're destroying my liberties. Moving on, so just thinking generally about out-of-pocket health, how have people responded to you doing that? Obviously, it's going out, doing something a little bit different, and there's been a good following from it. What's been the response? Do people think it's awesome? Is there on the fans to haters scale? Are we kind of on one side or another? Do people not care, or how does it all work? They're always haters. <laughs> That's just like the rule of thumb with, the, with posting anything on the internet is they're always going to be haters. Uh, no, but, you know, I would say actually the response has been almost has been very largely positive even when people disagree like i think they might disagree on like you know the points made but i've actually been very happy with how civil also people have been in the disagreements and i've learned a lot actually just through people who disagree um through email etc the thing without a pocket is i think it has self-selected for a certain kind of person in healthcare that really actually like is excited about learning how these things work and really wants to fix healthcare in some capacity. And I think because of that, you know, one of the things that I've been trying to do through the newsletter is sort of talk a little bit about the things that sort of get whispered in the industry, but don't kind of get said out loud, because again, like either you don't want to sort of be super opinionated while you're working with someone, et cetera. And I don't have to worry about that because, you know, I'm a bum without a yeah. real job, so I can say whatever I want. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I put out a post, for example, saying, I don't think hospitals and health insurance companies should be the people who provide social safety net things like housing and food and all that, because I think it becomes problematic on where you draw the line between what governments should be offering their people and what hospitals and private sector should be offering. And that is something that like I've heard many times in the industry. And I've never seen anyone actually try and articulate it because I think it's kind of a strong position to take. But I had great conversations about that. And I think people were... were pretty receptive to like talking about a lot of those things publicly. You know, the other thing I'm trying to do, um, and that's sort of a 2021 goal is to start putting out playbooks. And so that'll look like things like how to sell to hospitals and a lot of tactical operational stuff, which has become almost like black box knowledge that you have to hire for. And I don't think it needs to. And the only way we're going to be able to get people kind of like ramped up into healthcare is by making it easier to just lay out the basics, right? Like you shouldn't have to hire that level of expertise. So, you know, that's sort of what I'm trying to do a little bit more of. There's a lot of synergies with what you're talking about with those types of tools and playbooks and the making information available. And even to that point around being your own person and being able to speak more freely than someone might if they were as part of an organization. I'm fascinated by, and not just in healthcare, in every industry, professional industry mainly, where, you know, you've got individuals who have something to say, who've worked within the space, who maybe 10, 15 years ago, whilst the internet was there, probably didn't have the capability to have a platform. Now, all of a sudden, you could spin up a Substack or a Patreon or a, like a, any kind of like a podcast and get a large following if you've got some consistency and something interesting to talk about. And the irony is then usually that crowd that checks it out are those within the larger organizations who are looking for direction and but aren't in a position to be able to kind of shape that. So 
I don't know. I kind of see that, you know, the likes of yourselves and to an extent what we're doing with Talking Health Tech here too, in that we're creating these little pockets of different perspective that probably shine a lot of light on areas of truth that people don't have the flexibility to shine on in other ways. So it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of continues to expand. I know that's quite big in the finance industry as well. There's a lot of these types of platforms as well. Do you see that much in the US as well? We're usually a bit behind here in Australia with that type of stuff. So in the US, it seems to be even more so. No, totally. I. It's funny. I, I think um, two weeks ago when you saw the like finance mob of Wall Street vets yes. basically organize I mean, you know, it's it's funny, but at the same time, it was one of the times where I really looked at this and I was like, oh, it is possible to mobilize a very small group of very, I would say, like active people and have real world consequences. And I thought I looked at that and I was like, well, there's definitely like a healthcare version of this because everyone is really mad about healthcare too, right? The same way Wall Street Bets was mad about Occupy Wall Street and how hedge funds work. I was like, you could definitely take that same energy and bring it to healthcare. Now, the problem is either you do that from the average consumer sort of point of view, or you do that with people who are actually in the industry and try and take this self-selecting group of people who I think are like very passionate about making healthcare a better place beyond just their own personal job. And that's sort of what I'm trying to do with like the out-of-pocket community somewhat broadly. You know, I have this sort of paid Slack channel also where people have to apply and their monthly assignments and all that kind of stuff where um, I'm trying to get people to sort of share some of these known but not openly spoken about things so that we can actually just like share knowledge more sort of openly. The thing this is really solved for is that it's very hard to Google the answer to a lot of these questions now for, for a combination of like, I think all these like SEO juiced content has now taken up the front page of Google and just general search engines. And also because people are not posting, um, not posting a lot of these real answers for a lot of like uh, personal risk reasons. And so these small communities, and I'm sure it's like this with, with what you're building is people can share the real answers to the questions that people have from someone who has potentially gone through that exact thing. And so that's, I think, like a huge pain point to be solved. And if you can organize people in a way where there's like mutual trust and people are like all kind of on the same page of like, we want to fix this, then I think you can do like really spectacular things. Yeah, man, totally should be an out-of-pocket and uh, talking health tech communities combine and we can create our own. I don't know. I see this is the Wall Street Bets thing. I actually thought about the exact same question around like what's the healthcare equivalent of the Wall Street Bets kind of thing that happened. And I asked someone recently, but at the end of an interview, so I don't think it'll go onto the podcast, but we were talking about that for a bit. And the thing that I find different interest in your perspective too is that being in finance, like everyone individually had something like immediately tangible that they could attribute to like what's in it for them because a lot of people who got involved with the Wall Street Bets thing where shorting the shorters or whatever you call it. So they were either out there to just stick it to the man and just cop that to the giant organizations, but also potentially make a large amount of money, at least they thought. So from the healthcare side of things, if you're looking at it from the consumer side of things, unfortunately, a lot of people don't care about their health. And that's quite like part of the problem in the first place. But then those within the healthcare system, like the question, at least in Australia, is that I'm not sure it's broken enough. Like, I don't know whether there's a burning platform enough to be able to create that much of a noise. And there's no kind of call for a decentralized 
specialized healthcare system and all of that. Yes, they've got some kind of challenges around interoperability when you're working within the industry because it's hard to send data from one to the other, but it's kind of like a meh problem as opposed to like a, this is going to be an absolute catastrophe. So I don't know whether things need to progress even further before severe action happen because in healthcare, the only reason we're now doing telehealth in Australia and anywhere is because of a pandemic. So I don't know, I'm trying to think what our next big motivating burning platform will be. Yeah, I think COVID is probably the closest we've ever been to like a, you know, massive cataclysm that really exposes all the flaws at once. Like, I think healthcare's general problem is that these issues are like slow creeping over a long period of time. And so it's harder to pinpoint exactly when the problem is. I think actually an interesting a parallel to this is when Martin Shkreli basically increased the price of Daraprim by like whatever, it was like 1100%. This guy, what he did is not uncommon in the industry. The reason it was so bad was because it was in an extremely short time frame, and the guy was extremely easily hateable. And so he became this like character that represented everything that was wrong with pharma, but it's not like what he did was unique to the industry, right? So it was very easy for people to like hone in on this guy, basically like direct all their anger to him. And, you know, some small concessions were made in the wake of that, but like no real industry changing things. I mean, you know, drug prices still go up faster than inflation every year. And it's just more incremental. You don't see it as fast, but it's like over a long period of time, like it gets really bad. Right. Um, COVID, I think, is the first time where it's like everything got hyper catalyzed into like one like very short period of time. So it's easier to see and like tangibly feel. So a good example would be everyone losing their job simultaneously. Now, when everyone loses their job simultaneously, everyone loses their insurance simultaneously. And then suddenly they're like, oh, like this is actually a huge problem in the first place. We should have never allowed for this. And so we need to make it easier for people to get insurance when they're, they don't have a job. And so I think it's stuff like that, that you're going to see is like the in a post COVID sort of aftermath that I'm hoping at least this is like a turning point, but you know, who knows? <laughs> Are there any exciting healthcare companies or projects that you've got your eye on at the moment? And why do you think they look half decent? Yeah, I think things that I'm not involved in, but think are really interesting. I think that the US has this project called All of Us, and it's basically a biobank. So, um, you know, similar to like the UK biobank or some of these more well-known ones where it's trying to get a million participants, track them over a really long period of time, all as much data as possible. So getting regular blood tests, genomics, sort of fitness data, all this stuff to just see how health of people progress. So you can understand like what, what, um, you know, what sort of changing in a large population over a period of time. I think that project is really interesting. I think it'll, um, I really do think it'll have some awesome long-term sort of research that we'll understand from it. So that's one I'm really interested in. So personally, um, I do some scout investing on the side. So I am investing in some early stage startups. And broadly speaking, the areas I'm really interested in are one, software-enabled diagnostic tools. And so that's anything that basically can uh, uh, do diagnostics that couldn't be done before thanks to software. Um, and that's uh, that I think is really interesting because diagnostics as the first touch point a patient has into the healthcare system really changes, I think, the dynamic between the patient and the doctor. So that's one area I'm really interested in. Another area I'm very interested in is sort of making it easier for 
doctors to go independent again. In the US, all of the hospitals have basically acquired all the small practices. All the doctors are sort of feeling burnt out. They kind of hate working for like a large machine, but it's really hard to go independent and just start your own thing. It's hard to get find patients. It's hard to negotiate with insurance, all that kind of stuff. So tools that basically make that easier is another area I'm really interested in. Uh, I'm also looking a lot at virtual specialty care. So um, I think the pandemic has sort of shown what things can be virtualized and what things need to be done in person. And I think you can totally rebuild kind of how specialty workflows go. And so really looking for things like virtual neurology clinics, virtual um, endocrinology clinics, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, lastly, I'm looking at companies that are doing better fraud detection. So, you know, in the US, there's a lot of money actually that just gets wasted in fraud. And it's um, with new machine learning techniques, it's actually relatively easy to spot these now. So really looking at companies that make it easier to detect scams, frauds, all that kind of stuff. So those are generally some of the areas I'm interested in. I mean, I don't know, I'm interested in a bunch of like, dumber stuff as well but (laughs) it's interesting the point yeah yeah the one you raised around making it easier for doctors to work for themselves so you're talking around like primary care like what we call in australia like general practices is that what we're talking around not not the. that's one version there's a few different ways to think about it right like one is um, making primary care being able to operate independently from hospitals and so maybe that's making it easier for them to run an entirely cash pay clinic like they don't need to deal with insurance at all Maybe it is enabling specialty groups to basically leave the hospital and then you you act as like a wraparound to the specialty groups to do a lot of the things the hospital would have normally done, right? So you maybe don't want to hire a full-time billing and admin staff. At the hospital used to provide that for you. Now you can basically offer it as like an outsourced service or medical malpractice insurance is very expensive. Are there ways to better Mm. underwrite that and make it easier? So, you know, I think there's a lot of different pieces and components to it, but those are some of the things that I'm thinking a little bit about. There's a lot of elements that are different between Australia and the US, but that's one in particular when you look at how things are structured and how the healthcare is delivered. The connection between primary care and hospitals is quite separate. There isn't much of a connection here in Australia. And it's interesting when you're from a vendor's perspective. So if you're trying to create technology for healthcare systems, if you were coming into Australia, you'd look at it and like, why are you speaking to 6,000 clinics individually? Just speak to the hospital groups to be able to sell to the primary care, but they're not the same thing. There's a few hospital groups that are kind of getting into this, you know, process of purchasing some clinics, but I'm probably way off with my stats, but it's something like 90% of GP clinics around Australia are independently owned by general practices. So with that comes inefficient processes and, you know, everyone's built their own little thing and everything's a bit more scattered. So there's no centralizing. So we're probably on either end of the scale, though, to be interesting to find kind of a medium ground. So that's quite interesting. Totally. I don't get to ask about Clubhouse much in interviews because no one really knows what it is. And I saw you're in Clubhouse and I was speaking to one of our community members within Talking Health Tech. He's a doctor and he's in Clubhouse. He's been in there a bit. He's in Australia. We were in a room about digital health or something like that. And it's great hearing different perspectives from around the world. Have you had much chance to have a go at it? What's your thoughts on this thing? I feel like it's the obligatory thing to ask in a podcast about you got to ask about Clubhouse. Yeah, I am a Clubhouse convert. I think at the beginning, I was very skeptical about why this was interesting. It sort of felt like unedited podcasts, which are like (laughs) the worst form of podcasts. I actually changed my mind because I realized that Clubhouse provides the serendipity that we are currently missing in like a COVID world where we don't need to like set up time for like a 30 minute chat just to hang out or whatever. 
it's like any time of the day i can just pop in the clubhouse and i see you know four friends are like just shooting the shit about something in a room i can pop in and i can leave in like five ten minutes and that's like a socially acceptable thing to do in clubhouse so so i think actually the serendipity part is the most interesting actually you know i was in a room the other day and uh, somehow um like data standards and healthcare came up because i'm a loser um but somehow data standards and healthcare came up and the guy who was the CTO of the U.S. who helped actually write a lot of the rules for interoperability in the U.S. was just like chilling in the audience. <laughs> and so it was like, hey, like I see Anish Chopra is like in the audience. Like, do you want to come up and just say something? And I'm like, whoa, that is crazy. Yeah. Just totally happenstance, happy to be here. It kind of just feels like you're in a bar with like a bunch of random people from healthcare or whatever, you know, whatever topic you're in. And they just like pull people in and chat. And, I, you know, honestly, like, I'm a big believer now. I'm pro Clubhouse. Yeah, no, I've got to say the last couple of days, I've probably moved more to that side. It's just choosing your rooms as well. I think there was, for a while there, I followed it for a bit where it was mainly just marketers trying to sell to everybody and become yes. the Clubhouse person. And here's your seven tips on how to do things in Clubhouse. Like, no, it's cool. I worked it out pretty quick. It's fine. I don't yeah. need a guide. And don't please don't put me in your funnel. But yeah, at the same time, having those conversations is really good. I think with any new platform shift, people will try and like bring the old stuff from that worked on other platforms and try and make it work on this one. And this is like that like LinkedIn nonsense growth hacking stuff that people do of like, I got all the tips. Like, let me like space it out like line by line and like drag it out. Like no one cares about that. Yeah. Clubhouse is like, you have to be like uniquely good at Clubhouse. And I think you will eventually see like really good moderators shine in those scenarios and you'll follow people because of the moderation, not because of the stuff they're shilling. And so I think that'll change over time. Mm. No, very cool. Well, we'll have to make sure we give the links to follow you and Clubhouse if people want and they've got access. We have got in the Talking Health Talk community, we've got a little pool of invites if people do want them. So that's available. Anyone just get in touch. And I'll come crash. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Do it, do it, do it. And lastly then, so just to round things out, what about projects for you, Out of Pocket and The Kill and everything that you're doing? What are you working on this year and what can we look forward to? I got a secret project I can tell your listeners. Um, nice. I have a card game getting manufactured right now where we have to That's avoid cool. medical bankruptcy, um, <laughs> which is a game only people in the U.S. will understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's so but that's so specific and but so it's cool so specific um so that's one thing i'm working on and then yeah like i said i'm sort of trying to put out these playbooks this year and that's really really what i'm trying to do is codify a lot of this like black box knowledge into something that's you know you can basically pick up off the shelf and get started with and that's kind of where i'm going to spend a lot of my time this year and i'm you know, I'm always down to chat with anyone who's interested about learning more about how healthcare in the U.S. works or, you know, running a healthcare company generally. I do work with a lot of early stage companies, either from an advising or an investing perspective. So, um, you know, can happy to always uh, chat about that as well. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully doing more of that this year and hopefully getting out of my house. <laughs> hopefully getting vaccinated <laughs> and going to, going to the club, yeah. you know, that's my, yeah. my goal, my KPI. For the simple pleasures. Yeah, you kept your eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, and and how, how can people get in touch with you? What's the easiest way to get in touch with Nikhil? Yeah, you can either email me at uh, Nikhil at outofpocket.health or you can find me shitposting on Twitter at Nikhil in it. Um, or I don't know, I'm pretty easy to find if you want to find me. I'm sort of spending a lot of time on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Excellent. Oh, well, the, the, all the details on how to get in touch with you will be in the show notes of this episode so anyone can check it out. Make sure you subscribe to Out of Pocket. It's definitely worth it. For the memes alone, what does it stay for the analysis and come for the memes or whatever it is? But yeah, end yeah, up exactly. For the memes as well. Cool, man. Exactly. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining and uh, all the best for those crazy cool projects in 2021. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.